You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Amen. I'm glad to be here. I told one of the young people they're going to have a great time at CF&I. They're going to treat you like royalty when they find out you're connected to me because there I'm somebody here. I'm just a pastor's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Just a pastor's husband, okay, whatever. (laughs) Amen. Today I want to talk to you out of the book of Romans, as I often do. I think if I got deprived of all the books of the Bible and could, be, could have only one, I'd have to pick Romans or Galatians, something like that. I'd ha- it'd certainly be one of the letters of Paul, maybe Ephesians even, but I think I would pick Romans because of the richness of it. By theologians, it's called the Gospel according to Paul. You have the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, and Matthew and John and all that. But, but Romans is really the gospel according to Paul. And it starts out in chapter 1 with, For I am not ashamed, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The just shall live by faith, that's Romans 1, 16 and 17. And this is the centerpiece not only of Paul's doctrine, but it is the centerpiece, really, of Western civilization. If you remember, in 1517, there was an angry German monk who got so twisted up because the Catholic Church started selling forgiveness. They called it indulgences. Started selling uh, ways out of purgatory. And uh, this monk exploded. He did not realize that this edict had actually come from Rome. He thought it had just come from John Tetzel, the great preacher, great Catholic preacher named John Tetzel. But uh, it was partially Tetzel's idea, but it was mostly, mostly the, 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 the Pope, who, Pope Leo who had issued the order to allow this. And then when John Tetzel came to Germany preaching this and, and, and Martin Luther saw what was happening, he like to lost his mind. And he sat down and started writing a sermon a 95-point sermon. We're going to have four points today. Y'all say, thank, G- thank you, Jesus. We're going to have four today. But he wrote a 95-point sermon called the 95 Theses, and they nailed it to the Wittenberg Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and the rest is history. Out of that monumental moment, almost all historians agree that that was the moment that sparked what we call the Reformation, which created... Western civilization. Every major shift since that time, every major shift in global, in global things either has to do with something going on in Israel or some major revival in the church. Politics are not just politics. Governments are not just governments. They're born out of some spiritual renewal and revival that people are going through. And oftentimes the revivals in the church parallel the, 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 the goings-on in Israel. I don't understand it all. I just know it's a fact. It's, a, it's quite, an, quite an amazing thing. 
Romans then became recognized as what it should be, really the centerpiece of the New Testament. The doctrine there is remarkable. And I began to think about my walk because this week I took a stumble, I fell down because I wasn't walking, watching where I was walking. And I, I fell hard, I fell hard. And I have bruises on my body. No, you can't see them. Some of them I don't even want to show Miss Ann. And I thought I might just lie there for a day or so until, it, until I felt better. But I, I said to the guy standing over me, help me up. And I, I stood up and when I stood up, I felt strength come into my body. Instantly I felt strength come into my body. And I ran on down the stairs and I said, y'all coming? And they, the, the, the two that were with me just stood and looked at each other and said, who is this? I, I, it looked like I could have easily broken something. I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But it started, started me thinking about the walk. And why so often Christians who love God, who mean well, wind up stumbling. How many of you have ever stumbled? Be honest. Oh, okay. Oh, Miss Ann raised her hand. I can't believe it. But I'm going to talk to you about the Romans walk. You've heard about the Roman road, right? If you've been in even evangelical church 15 minutes, you've heard about the Roman road. Roman road to salvation starts with Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then Romans 10.9 and 10 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes in the righteousness with a mouth confession made into salvation. I hope I got it all right. Those are the, those are the four primary steps to the Roman road. And amen. It's just the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And if you'll, if you'll believe on him, you can be saved. I mean, confess him as Lord. And it's just simple. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I, mean, I, I heard this when I was young and I got saved. But I want to talk to you about the Romans walk today. There are four times in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul uses the word walk. There are actually five times, but, but two of them are in, in, in verses closely connected, and he's talking about the same thing. So there are really four, four times where he describes what the walk is like. And let's, let's find the first one, step one. Our first step in this walk is Romans 4.12. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans 4.12, or if you can put it up on the big screen, it would be amazing. Romans 4.12. The Apostle Paul says, And the father of circumcision to them, meaning Abraham, the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision, who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Now Paul is drawing a parallel between two monumental events and a contrast, if you will, between two monumental events in Abraham's life. Let me explain the Bible to you a little bit. I, I love illustrating the Bible by telling you stories and giving you examples, but may I explain a little bit what, what the New Testament really uh, is about when it talks about Abraham, why he's the father of Gentiles and the father of Jews as well, and why the book of Romans says 
In chapter 4, in the, earlier in the same chapter, verses 4 through 8, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that faith without works is righteousness. Faith without works is righteousness. Faith without works is righteousness. All we've ever heard is faith without works is dead. dead. But Paul makes it clear, abundantly clear, verse by verse by verse by verse, faith without works is righteousness. Couldn't be, it couldn't be clearer, but we keep hearing in our heads, faith without works is dead. Because of one verse in James, which says it just like that, faith without works is dead. Now how do we reconcile these things? Can I say to you, you can't. The theologians are still trying to reconcile it. It won't reconcile. James even goes further in chapter 2 of James to say that faith without works all that's telling you is that what I'm about to say is important. And James chapter 2 says, says, Was not our father Abraham justified when he offered up his son Isaac? Now listen, that happened in Genesis chapter 22. That happened in Genesis chapter 22 that Abraham was justified by offering up Isaac. But Paul says to us that Abraham was justified and made righteous in chapter 15, seven chapters earlier, many years earlier, when he believed the promise of God. So was he justified when he believed the promise of God? Or was he justified when he offered up his son Isaac? The answer is, of course, yes. Because something monumental happened between those two chapters. Chapter 17 happened, and that is when God appeared to him and said, I'm making my covenant between me and you, Abram, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to require that you keep this, this part of the deal. You have to be circumcised. This is one of the reasons why we know Abraham did not just dream this up himself, did not just make this up in his own, in his own wayward mind. We know that Abraham heard from God because nobody making up their own religion, no man anyway, takes a knife to himself like that. He might show up with a missing finger or a missing ear, but he's not going to show up with missing other stuff. <laughs> Try, trying to draft, trying to recruit other men into this, that ain't happening. <laughs> That's not happening. No man's going to go for that unless God has said it. And this is one of the reasons why we know God said it, because he took a knife to himself that way to prove that God spoke to me. And other men bought it. They're still buying it. They're still circumcising their babies. But that monumental moment, which made him, in essence, as we know Israel and we know the Jews, they came out of him, but it made him the first covenant man, the first Jew of sorts. Although we didn't start calling them Jews until later. You get that? That means that as an uncircumcised man, which this verse is talking about, he was justified purely by faith. And that's all of us. Even though you may have been circumcised, may have been born, born in, in, in the hospital here in Durant or out at, at, over at TMC or someplace else, and you may be circumcised, that does not mean you're circumcised in the way the Jews are. It has to be done in a special ceremonial way by a rabbi. And if you've not been circumcised in the ceremonial way by a rabbi, you cannot be, consider your own Gentile circumcision, which was done for hygiene, you cannot consider that circumcision. 
So we're all uncircumcised Gentiles. Because if you, if you are circumcised and you still eat bacon like I do, and catfish like I do, and shrimp like I'm going to for the rest of my life, amen. I won't ever stop being a Texoman. I'm always going to eat catfish. Praise God. Amen. My daddy ate it till he passed away. He was 81 years old. He loved some of that fried catfish. But it says here that Abraham was justified and we walk in the faith of our father Abraham. We don't walk in the faith of our father circumcised Abraham. It says we walk in the faith of our father the uncircumcised Abraham because we're Gentiles which is what he was when he was made righteous. Are you getting this? So that's why James written to the Jews says faith without works is dead in order for this kind of justification it's a level of justification I don't understand thank you Jesus I don't have to understand it because I've been circumcised on another level a level of the heart which happened when I believed Jesus all right you understand this now so this walk of faith our first step is to walk in faith to walk by faith now what does that mean Abraham was walking by faith for a very specific thing. God had said, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son shall come a family of sons more vast and larger than the stars of the heavens. He was not talking about Israel, as you know Israel at the time. They were included in that, but he was not talking about them alone. He could not be talking about them alone. They constitute one one eighth. No, no, no. They, they, they constitute two tenths. There we go. Two tenths of one percent of the world's population. But Christians number close to three billion now. Don't believe that lie of the devil that says Islam's taking over. Islam will never take over the world. That's a lie of the devil. That will never happen. Now, they may take over France, but who cares? <laughs> People all up in arms over them taking over France. I'll oh, let them have it. Who cares? That's how I feel. No, Abraham's seed in the person and work of Jesus Christ is taking over the world. The truth is, Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. It really is the fastest growing religion. Now, you're going to get different kinds of statistics on that, and everybody's got an opinion. But the truth is, Christianity is growing at an alarming rate in the in Muslim world. Amen. You know, what, you know what turns them on? You know what turns them uh, Muslim? In Indonesia, the third largest nation in the world, which is a great, greatly, greatly Muslim, they're getting saved by the tens of thousands there every year. It's becoming a Christian nation because Jesus will not be outdone. Amen. Christianity is not shrinking in the United States. Classic Christianity is. But today, there are more spirit-filled believers in the, in the United States than there have ever been. And it is the only, the only segment of Christianity that is still growing in the United States. All others are shrinking. Did you know this? I'm not sorry for that. Are you? No, I'm not sorry for that. 
I think if you poured your money into buildings and not into people, you deserve to die. You, you, you just deserve to go away if all you have is monuments to what once was. We have a metal building that bothers us when it rains. We have to turn our microphones up aloud. Who cares? We're not going to go to building these massive billion dollar cathedrals. So one day our grandkids will say, we used to have a church there. Now we just, we just take tours through it. That's not church. You are the church. You are the church of the living God. You're the ones that are going to change the world. That's why we walk by faith and not by what we see. Abraham was told you're going to have kids. And now he's looking at his wife. <laughs> She's good looking, but she is old. And pretty don't cut it. Age does. Looks at this woman and the, 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 the clock is ticking. You know, you know, talk about, y'all heard me say this before. Women talk about their biological clock ticking. Well, hers was sounding like Big Ben, you know. I mean, <laughs> bong, bong. She was, it was way past time to get pregnant. 80 years old. 80 years old. She still got no baby. She was nearly 90 before she conceived and bore a child. Now, they lived to be pretty old back then. 90 would have been about like 60 now. But still. Yeah. But still. Yeah. And think, what gets me is that Abraham and Sarah were still trying. <laughs> he was using his faith. Your father. If you're going to emulate your father, you're going to do it by walking by faith. That means that sometimes you're going to get reports that, that, that run against you, that don't sound good, that hurt your feelings. That make you think, oh God, what am I doing? Oh no. Sometimes you're going to hear things that make you wonder, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa what am I going to do? God said, that ought to settle it. If you really believe God said, that ought to settle it. My pastor told me last night, I went to see him for Father's Day. He's really the only father I have left. My, my, my dad and my, my wife's dad are both in heaven. So I go see my old pastor down in Arlington from time to time and sit with him and he prays over me and treats me, treats me like I'm a child, which I just love. He's 85. He'll be 85 this July the 25th. And he, uh, he said, John, remember. Listen to this. If you walk past a lost person and don't do something about his soul, don't say something, don't try something, don't, don't do something about, about his eternal destiny, either you don't believe that he's really going to hell or you don't care that is going to hell. Shoot. I said, say it one more time. He said, if you walk past a lost man that you know is lost, he just told me all over again. Either you don't believe he's in desperate straits or you don't care. See, part of our walk of faith is we actually believe this stuff. We actually believe this stuff and our walk tells us how we're going to act. 
I walk by faith, not by what I, not by what I feel. Sometimes I don't feel good. That never happened to me until I turned about 50 years old. I went for 50 years. I could get hit by a train one day and get up the next morning and go back to work. I mean, I was just a, incredible. My wife will tell you, I did get hit by a train one time. I worked for the railroad. And I was giving signals. I don't know if you've ever seen railroaders do this, giving signals, doing this thing right here. My, my foreman was around the curve, and he couldn't see the engineer, and the engineer couldn't see him. So I had to stand in a spot, it was in Ardmore, Oklahoma, where the engineer could see me, give the signals, and, my and I was watching my foreman's signals, giving them to the engineer. And what I didn't know was that somebody had left a door open on one of the boxcars with that big handle sticking out rather than, rather than swung around and locked in place. It was sticking out, and it hit me in the back of the shoulder. Bam! Oh! We were just barely, just barely moving along, but when, when 100 tons of, of railroad car hits you, ouch! Ouch! So I wonder it didn't break something. I got up the next morning, you know, went back to work. I was fine. It was fine. Got hit by a train. Fine the next day. If I read a story about a train wreck, it, it, makes, me, it makes it hard to get out of bed the next day. <laughs> so I have to get out of bed by faith. Walk by faith. You just walk by faith. Don't look for excuses. Don't look for circumstances to keep you from walking in faith because you'll have them. If you look for reasons not to go to work, you'll find them. If you look for reasons not, are you hearing me? Come on, that's good. This is good preaching. I don't know if it's helping you, but it's helping Ohala right now, I'm telling you. I know y'all don't really do that because you're here in a deluge. You're in church. This is the strangest church we've ever been a part of. Most of the time, most of the time I've noticed that when it rains, people don't hardly want to go to church. But it seems like we have some of our biggest crowds when it rains. I think it's just dry here so long when it rains, y'all come to th give thanks, don't you? Amen. We walk by faith and not by what we see. Walk by faith and not by fear. Walk by faith. Walk because we've got a word from God and believe it. Did, Peter did not say, Jesus, if you want to, you could let me walk on the water. If you want to, you've got the power. Listen, listen, listen to how I'm praying here. Jesus, you can do anything. You can make me walk on water. Please make me walk on water. That, that kind of prayer ra rarely works, and that's the kind of prayer that most Christians pray all the time. Jesus, you can do anything. Yeah, oh Lord, you can just you can you can make you can make this happen. You please 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 just do this. Do that. Peter didn't pray like that, and, it, and he goes, if he had it, it wouldn't have worked. What Peter prayed was, Lord, yes. you just say it. You say for me to come to you on the water. Give me a word. I'll walk on that word. Praise God. Bid me come to you on the water. That's what he walked on. We talk about Peter walking on the water, but he's really walking on the word. Praise God. You have circumstances you need to get a word from God on. Just get that word from God and you get God's word on your circumstance. You'll walk on that. You'll walk by faith and not by sight. You'll walk by what's in your heart. Come on, somebody say amen. Our step two is found in Romans chapter six, verses, verse four. Verse four. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore, 
We are buried with him. You found it Romans 6, 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. After your water baptism, you have an opportunity, because you have now buried the old man, you have an opportunity to walk in newness. It does not say this is where you're born again. It's where you have the ability to walk in newness. I say that until you get water baptized, you're still carrying around the vestiges of your past life. I do not believe that water baptism is merely a symbol. I believe you're actually washing something away. I do not believe you must have that to go to heaven, but I do believe you must have that to walk in newness here. That's what this teaches us. Yeah. This is Paul's doctrine. I'm just telling you the truth. You get baptized, you buried it, old man. That's why when we, when we went to... Uh, yes, I'm going to get you. Amen. <laughs> he said to me, I won't be baptized. Well, I don't care how sweet your granny was. If you prop her up in the back bedroom, she's going to stink up the house after she passes away. You've got to take her and bury her. I don't care what part of your life you like. Go get it baptized. Go wash it away. And you'll find you'll have greater, you'll have greater success in your, in your walking in the newness. You will. I, uh, I, uh, we, we just got back from Israel. And we're going to show you. We're going we're gonna to make a time. Maybe on a Wednesday night. Could do it on a Sunday morning, I guess. But we're going to put together a montage. And talk, walk you through our trip to Israel. Is that all right? We'll, we'll, have, we'll have fun with that. Before the summer's out, we'll try to get that done. But uh, when we were over there, my students all said, we want to be baptized in the Jordan River. Dr. Holly, are you going to be baptized in the Jordan River? I said, no, I'm not going to be baptized in the Jordan River. I got nothing to bury there. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing to bury there. That's what I told them. I'm not, not, not going to do it. They said, well, we want to be baptized. We want you to baptize us. I said, I'll baptize you. I think you've got plenty to be buried there. <laughs> I, I know them. They're wonderful and perfect in almost every way, except that. Got some stinky stuff about them. I need to get it under, underwater quick. So yeah, I'll baptize. One of them said, I just want to say that I was baptized by John in the Jordan River. <laughs> okay. So I baptized about 25 of them. Of the 40 or so that went. But I told him I, I, don't, I don't want to do that because for me, my baptism was real. Something really happened. Yeah. And here that old man is buried in the waters of Lake Murray, Oklahoma. And that water has held him all this time. Amen. Amen. You don't need to be redo, redoing that. Just walk in the newness of life. Because this is that. I don't need that redone all the time. I don't believe in being born again several times. I believe in being born again once. I believe I was perfected forever the moment I got saved. Y'all were clapping just a little bit ago, but now you're not so sure because, 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 because legalism is so ingrained in most of us. You get saved once. You get born again once. Not born again, 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 like they, like they tried to teach us in the Pentecostal church I was raised in. You understand me? You get born again once like every baby. But you learn how to walk in newness of life. And that itself is a walk of faith. But he said we walk in faith like Abraham our father. And we walk in newness after our baptism. Walk in newness. That means something really happened when you were baptized. Uh, everything became new. Hallelujah. Now you need to get up in the morning thinking like that. I think it's why the cycles of life are like they are. I think every 24 hours we get a new chance to start over. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that. I love making New Year's resolutions. I rarely keep them, but I try. I sometimes get all the way through January before I break them. I do. I got to March this year. But it's a chance to start over. Every week is a new, new t thing. And it's marked by you starting your week with Sunday, with here. For a believer, it's important to have this part in your life. How many of you glad you came to church today? Say, he ain't talking to me, I'm here. Amen. It's important in the cycles of your life to keep everything in place. To keep it going like it's supposed to go. Because it helps you stay on track. One of the things that I, 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 was, I was impressed by this thing of newness. When uh, the first time I realized when the Vietnam War was going on, when they jerked those little boys, those, those skinny little kids out of Thackerville, Oklahoma, and sent them off to San Diego to get them trained. And six weeks later, they came back. And we went, wow. They came back with square shoulders. They came back with muscles. They came back looking severe and standing straight, yeah. glaring you right in the eyes, just daring you to say something wrong to them. Trained for the Marine Corps. Trained to go kill people. And they might want to practice on you. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw one of them, I was like, wow, what happened to you? I just got back from Marine Corps training camp, San Diego, California. I think it was San Diego. Wow. What did they do to you? He said, this came in six weeks. I said, how did that happen? He said, I'll tell you what. They get you up at the same time every morning, and they feed you. And they run you until you throw, throw it up. And they feed you again. And then you do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you know, and everything is exactly at the same time every day yep. for six weeks. And it transforms them. Transforms them from skinny little wiry kids from Love County to armed and dangerous fighting men of the United States Marine Corps. Six, now it's, I think it's eight weeks or something, but remarkable just feeding them at the same time every day making them do the same kind of exercises at the same time every day every day every day at the same time same thing getting into a rhythm you get into a rhythm of just doing the right thing it's amazing how you'll look in one year get into a rhythm of reading your bible every day and read it at the same time every day pray every day pray at the same they had a time of prayer nothing wrong with you saying look i'm, I'm going to pray I'm just going to pray. I'm going to take a few minutes here for lunch, and I'm going to pray. Yeah. pray. You're going to see something remarkable happen in your life if you'll get on a rhythm. Yeah. Just get on a rhythm. I'm helping you today. Yeah. I'm supposed to help you, ain't I? Yeah. Am I not supposed to help you? Yeah. And newness begins to come out of it. You look different. You feel different. A newness starts to come into your life. A whole new way of looking at the world. And one thing that happens is, you're, 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 you come aware of the fact that you are a champion. Yes. You were not born by accident. You were not born in Oklahoma by accident. You're not born Native American by accident. You were not born German and, and African American and Mexican. You were not born by accident like you are. You were not born, you were not born woman, female by accident. You were not born male by accident. You were not born into the family you were by accident. God put you there for a reason. And He did not start you out as a loser. You were born a sinner. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But still, the very fact that you're here means you are a champion because you got here at, by winning a marathon swim race of a million contestants. <laughs> you're all swimming for that egg. We all got here the same way. Don't look so sanctimonious. We all got here the same way. There's nothing, nothing mysterious about it. We all got here the same way. Unless you're a test tube, baby. If you are, God bless you. We love you. <laughs> I realize in these modern days of, sci in days of modern science that could be, but most of us got here by winning that swim, that swim race, that marathon. That's right. And the very fact that you're here means you are a champion. You were conceived a champion, Woo! glory to God. Yeah. When you got born again, you were, you were born again a champion. Walk in your victory. Walk in this newness that you have. And you'll see, you'll see, you'll begin to forget your old habits. You'll stop praying, oh God, deliver me from this. And you'll see that you just walk right out of it. Yeah, just walk right out of it. Because you can keep praying about God delivering you. But you'll do better off if you'll say, just give me a word yes, on it. Yes. Give me a word on it. Something I can walk on. Walk in this newness of life. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. I think it's interesting too that it says here in this text that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. This thing we have is glorious. And one of the things it's supposed to be designed to do, it is designed to do, is cause you not to see your lack, but to see your provision. Cause you not to see what you are lacking, but to see what you have. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it will do if you don't let religion pollute your mind. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was only then that they recognized they were naked. When they had not done anything wrong, they had no sense that they were naked. It is theorized that they had glory oozing from their pores. If Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, and glory, it, it means two things. It means weightiness. It means a heaviness. But it also means a glowing. It's a glowing heaviness. A glowing weightiness. So it was like they put on, they had this glory that exuded from their, their, their pure hearts. And it, and it covered them and they didn't notice each other naked. That means they couldn't notice anything that they were lacking. And the, fa the father had certainly never told them anything about being naked. He never said, look at you two, get some clothes on, you're naked. He never said that to them. Never once ever said that to them. Don't look, Ethel, you know. <laughs> he, never, he never once ever said that. Never once ever said that. And the reason we know that is because when Eve sinned and Adam sinned with her, they ran and hid and God found them saying, where are you, Adam? And he said, we're over here hiding because we're naked. We were afraid. And the Lord said, Who told you you were naked? Because he knew he had never said anything about them being naked. He knew they'd listen to another voice. And then the next thing he said was, Have you eaten of the tree? 
because he knew one of two things. They had either heard the devil tell them, somebody else other than him tell them they were naked, or they had lost the consciousness of righteousness and had gained the consciousness of sin, and they instinctively knew they were naked. Wow. Instinctively knew they were naked. And he says, this glory comes back to us. This glory comes back to us. This instinctive glory comes back. So we don't see each other as male and female. We don't see each other as red and yellow, black and white and brown. We don't see each other as sinners. We see each other as indeed you really are in the spirit. Paul said, well, I know no man after the flesh, but Christ and him crucified. This is what he's talking about. That when Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, that, that, that meant that for anyone who would believe, a glory would come back upon them. A glory that allows us to love each other. I sat in my, I was teaching a class one day, and there were these two boys that I noticed were, were, were fast friends. They sat together all the time. They're always poking at each other and joshing each other and just having a good time. They were good boys. They weren't disruptive at all. I just no, no, happened to notice the two of them. And I knew that one of them was Jewish. His name was Ezra. Ezra, Jewish. The other one was Joshua, and he was Arab. He was actually from Syria, I think it was. And these two were best friends. Now in Israel, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Syrians and Jews are not that good of friends. Turn the television on for five minutes, and you find out that Syrians and Jews are not friends. But these two were friends. You know why? Because they were both believers in Jesus. Their glory had returned. Before Christ, all they could see was each other's nakedness and each other's shame and what the other lacked, what the other didn't have. But when they came to Christ, the other one then looked glorious to the other. They were best friends. They were, they were just like, I mean, they were just twins everywhere they went, Joshua and Ezra, Joshua and Ezra, the Arab and the Jew, but they were no longer Arab and Jew, now they're believers in Jesus and they're brand new, children of the living God. Only Christ can do that kind of thing. The only hope for reconciliation in the world, the only hope for reconciliation in America is the true message of Christ in the earth. We can, we can do what we can do to, to educate people, but it will do no good. It seems like racism in our country is just getting worse and worse, and it's because we're not preaching the real gospel anymore. We're preaching this gospel of social justice, which will never fix anything. We have to talk about Christ and Him crucified. That's how men get their hearts changed. Men get their hearts changed, and they become new creatures, and they leave the past behind and become new again. Amen. Can I have a good amen? And glory... Glory returns. Step three, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I told you that one of them is really talking about the same thing, but it's two verses, and here it is down in verse 4, that same chapter. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay, so what's this walk about? The walk of the Spirit. We talked about the walk of faith, the walk of newness, and then the walk of the Spirit. Oh, yabba dabba do. I like this one. <laughs> the walk of the Spirit is natural. It's easy. See, when you got saved, the Spirit of God came into your life. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Spirit, then you got 
full. You got, you went under. Like when you got saved, you got to, you owned the lake and you swam in the lake. You drank from the lake. You enjoyed the lake. But when you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, you got scuba gear. Now you see it from a whole different perspective. You're under now. Wow. That's why, that's why so many spirit-filled Christians act weird. I never saw it from this perspective. That's why after you get spirit-filled, you read the Bible differently. It says different things to you. It used to say quit smoking. Quit drinking. Grow this out and cut that off. That's where most, that's where most of religion is still stuck. They're swimming on top of the water. It's their water. It's their right. But when you get under the water... You tend, to, you, you tend to understand it differently. You see it differently. Amen. Amen. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was going to preach one time in Conroe, Texas, to a friend of mine's church where I preached a week or so ago. Was that last week? On my way there, Miss Ann and I, I preached at that church for many years. We were on, my, on our way there from West Texas. We were going to cross. There's no straight route from San Angelo to Conroe. It's, it's a zigzag route. There's no straight line to it. And we, uh, on the way there, I went past a couple of oil storage tanks. There was no pump jack. The pump, the pump jacks in the East Texas are in the woods. You can't see them like you can, you know, in, in West Texas. You see them everywhere. But they were in the woods. But the oil storage tanks were right near the right right near the uh, the road, and there were two of them sitting there, and they were all rusty, real rusty. But I could tell the 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 the, the little the little yard that they had gravel up there was still being used because there weren't any weeds in it. There were still trucks coming and going. So these were these were uh, operational tanks. I said, who lets oil storage tanks get rusty? And look like that. They just look terrible. I wasn't used to seeing them that looked that bad. And I said to Miss Ann, look at that, those rusty oil tanks. You would think, you'd think somebody would do something about that. I mean, inside that tank wow. is the stuff that keeps things from rusting. <laughs> but the outside of the tank was rusty. And Miss Ann said, yeah, just like Christians. <laughs> You've met rusty Christians, crusty Christians. They're full of what keeps you from rusting, but they're still rusty. Why? What would it take to get that? To get, I'll tell you what it would take. It takes some movement. If a big old giant came along and picked up one of those tanks, you ever try to walk with a full cup of coffee? It doesn't stay in, does it? It comes out. So sometimes all you need to do to get, your, get your, the spirit that's inside you, that anointing that's inside you, moving and sloshing and pouring out, it just start moving. Just do something. I've already told you there's no bad way to tell a lost person about Jesus. Even if you get your foot in your mouth, say it. Do it. Do something. Take some step of faith. If you don't have any groceries in the house, set the table like you're going to eat. Do something. Yeah. Make a statement of faith. Yeah. You heard about that guy who kept complaining to the Lord, Lord, let me win the lottery, let me win the lottery, let me win the lottery. He never won the lottery. The Lord said, you got to buy a lottery ticket. you got to help me, George. I mean, <laughs> can't let you win if you don't do something. At least buy a lottery ticket. 
You, you, you take your step of faith, and God will take His steps of faith. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. That means, that means you just take what little baby steps of faith you have, and God comes rushing your direction to, 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 to make your reality change. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. I have uh, trained myself that when I get in the car by myself, I speak in other tongues. Now, if that's news to any of you that I speak in other tongues, that tells me you just arrived here. Yeah. This church, we teach speaking in tongues as a blessing from the Lord, yes. as a sign of one filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you don't speak in tongues yet, you can. Nobody's going to grab you and throw you in the floor. Well, they might, but, but it, it, they'll, do, they'll do it easily. They'll do it gently. No, no, no nobody's going to grab you. Nobody's going to try to make you feel less. We just want every believer to have this empowerment that is every believer's right. It's every believer's right to have this. And we want you to have it. We welcome you to be a part of this power, empowering of the Spirit. But you walk in the Spirit. One of the things I do to, to get my walk in the Spirit uh, uh, alerted every day is I just pray in tongues. I speak in other tongues. And it, it's amazing how it starts boiling up and makes me re-aware, aware all over again of the presence of God in my life. It's a vital, it's a vital thing for every Christian to live in victory, uh, to be filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues. It's part of the way you walk in the Spirit. I want to tell you something. I don't always feel like praying in tongues. I don't, I don't, sometimes I do. Sometimes it's, ah, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, oh, I like this. It's, you know, the feeling comes with it and the goosebumps and all that stuff. And, and you just, oh, man, oh, man, I can't stop. But other times I do it by faith. I just walk in the Spirit. Not fly into it, just walk into it. Just take a step. Sometimes you fly into it. That's awesome. There's no, there's no struggle there. But sometimes you walk. But if you'll walk, the power of God will manifest for you. Walk in the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul said, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've never known anybody who regularly prayed in the Holy Ghost that got into some kind of fleshly sin. I've never known them. Because it drives it down. It drives it away. It, it, it causes holiness to manifest because the Spirit has a first name. Holy. All right. Hmm. Step four. And I'm almost finished. Can you, stay with, can you stay with me a few more minutes? I promise to let you go before 12 midnight. <laughs> Romans 13, 13. The fourth time he says walk is, is in Romans 13, 13. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day. Walk how? Honestly. As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Wow, strife and envying are in a pretty nasty category, aren't they? With rioting, that's fighting. Drunkenness, we know what that is. Chambering, that is lounging on couches. And the inference is illicit sex. And wantonness is the same thing, partying, looking for sex. That's what these Greek words actually mean. And in strife and envying. Wow. It seems like all these others are, are really looked look dimly on in the church, but strife and envy is tolerated. Wow. But Paul puts them in the, same, in the same list. Strife and envying. Envy makes you not look like Jesus. 
Strife makes you look like the devil. This week, I was called to an important luncheon by my president. And when he calls me to lunch at the country club, I always go because I know he's buying. <laughs> and as I went, went to, left my office to go out to the hallway, I saw another couple who had been invited. Miss Ann's always invited, but she's always pastoring you guys, so she's re re very seldom ever there. But this other couple came, and he's one of the executives as well. I said, are y'all going to the luncheon? He said, yeah, you want to ride? I said, I do want to ride, but I've got to tell my secretary where I'm gone, where I've gone to, because we had to be there early at 1130, and she's used to me leaving at noon. I mean, it's a long story. So I pull up my phone, and I start following them and texting. And following them means you walk down this flight of stairs <laughs> to a door. And I'm texting walking down the stairs. Not even thinking about, what are you doing, holler? And I missed the last step completely. And the whole bottom of my world fell out for a split second. And I went down so hard. I mean, I hit hard. No carpet on that floor. It is a, you've seen this, these pebbles that they make concrete out of? It's all pebbly concrete. It's that kind of thing. And I landed on my right knee and hit my shoulder on the door jam, the, the aluminum door jam. Oh man, I hit hard. And I laid there for a second thinking, okay, death can't be worse than this. <laughs> it's either get better or die right here, one of the two. And I just, I, I, the, de the devil told me three or four things. Oh, on your, on your shoulder, you know, my shoulder had been getting well for, for a while and doing, doing really good. And then I banged that shoulder yesterday. It's actually on my arm. And then, uh, not, not yesterday, what day was it? Thursday? Yeah, you weren't here, so I didn't tell you. <laughs> anyway, and it tore my pants. I hit so hard, it tore my pants. Skimped my knee up. And I lay there thinking, I got to get up. And the guy turned around and he said, oh, Dr. Holler, ah, Dr. Holler. He was, he was terrified. I said, just, just hand me your hand. And he handed me his hand and stood, and stood me up. And I felt the strength of God come through my body when I stood up. I stood up and I thought, wow, I can do this. I'm not even hurting. I'm not even hurting. Let's go. And I just ran, down the, ran on down the stairs. And they just stood there looking at each other like, who is this guy, you know? And it was amazing how, how I recovered, how I, I suffered no injury. I was hurt, but not injured. Yeah. Do y'all know there's a difference? Anybody here play sports? You go to the coach and say, oh, coach, I'm hurt. And he says, can you move it? Yeah. Well, you're not injured. You're just hurt. Get back out there. <laughs> there's a difference between hurt and injured. And I was hurt. I was hurt bad, but I wasn't injured. Nothing broken. Amen. Today I'm walking. Don't, I have no pain. Amen. little soreness. But I have to tell you something. You lie to yourself and you do not walk honestly when you think you can do two things at once and be good at both. Oh, I'm a multitasker. Nobody is. You, you're lying to yourself. If you, think, if you think you can have a regular diet of pornography and the Bible and... Wow. Come on, Pastor. That's right. That's right. I started preaching real good right there just for a second. 
That you can live one way and live the other way and be everything. No, you can't. You can't. It, it, they don't work together because some, you're going to fall somehow. You're going to crash somehow. I, I find that believers lie to themselves all the time, thinking they can do two things at once and do them proficiently. I had a friend who never, who had the hardest time making relationships. He wanted so bad to be in the leadership of our church. This was years ago. wasn't here. wasn't even in McKinney. He wanted to be so bad to be in the leadership of our church. His name was Don, and Don was such a great guy. But if, if his job moved him, he went. Wherever his job moved him, he just went. And his job moved him overseas, moved him back, and his kids. His family was in shambles. They just never stayed anywhere more than about two or three years. He was a wonderful guy. But that job kept him moving and where he could never have any relationships. He thought he could do it all. I may be speaking to somebody here today. It's real difficult, if not impossible, to do two things and be proficient at both at the same time. It's very difficult. Now you can do it. You, if you have talent, you can do some things. You can, you can, and you can be okay at a couple of things, or three things, or four things. You can be okay at them, but if you're going to be the expert you're supposed to be, you've got to focus. For Pete's sake, Orville Redenbacher was right. <laughs> we do one thing and we do it well. Yeah. Who is Orville Redenbacher? Of course, see, you know. You know. I uh, decided years ago that I was going to give myself to preaching and teaching. Because I'd heard so much bad preaching in my life. So much bad teaching in my life. I thought, well, the least I can do, if God gives me the blessing of being full-time in ministry, the least I can do is be good at what I'm really called to do. Amen. I don't know if y'all think I'm good at it, but I think I'm good, pretty good at it. Because it's, I give myself to do this. And people want me to do all kinds of other things. They asked me to go do all kinds of other things that, that seemed like ministry things. Like, oh, are y'all going to that conference? Or, or did you read this book? Are you doing that? No, I, no, I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that. I spent a few years doing that. Running here and running there. Go see the next new prophet that comes along. I spent a lot of years, I'm going to say a lot of 10 or 15 years doing those kinds of things. And I realized it really didn't enhance what I was called to do. You know what enhances what I'm called to do? Reading the Bible. Amen. Yeah. Is this too deep? <laughs> that what I really have to do to be good at what I'm doing is read the Bible. Study the Bible. Understand Paul's doctrine to get good at what I'm called to do. Yeah. Get focused. Let me tell you, tell you something. To live honestly means you're focused. To live honestly means you don't have all these other interests that keep you away from what God has called you to do. Yeah. Stay focused. Now, we all have to do other things. Y'all heard me tell the stories. We all have to do other things. There are things I have to do. But when Miss Ann and I came here, and uh, well, we came here before we became the pastors, but when we came here to pastor this church, the elders knew and I knew that I couldn't pastor this church. I could be a part of this church, and I could be the lead spokesman for this church, the lead teacher and all that, but my, my role is apostolic. 
for me to try to pastor this church and do what I do in Dallas, it's just going to be pitiful. It's just going to be pitiful. But thanks be to God, I married a pastor. I didn't marry a pastor. I married a little German girl, but, but, but she became a pastor. See? So that allows her to do what she does here for you. allows me to do what I do in other places. Are you hearing me? You have to stay focused to live honestly. We tell ourselves lies. We tell ourselves lies. And we make up real good reasons for it. Like, well, I need the money. Everybody needs money. I'm not saying don't work. I'm saying, but we, the devil's going to give you all kinds of good reasons to not be focused on what you really ought to be focused on. I believe if God's people will get focused on the things of the Spirit, that He will cause money to come to you. In supernatural ways where you don't have to labor, yes. where you don't have to toil, where you being in partnership with Him, you'll find avenues of opportunity and blessing just come to yes. you. Praise yes. God. Are you hearing me? Yes. I believe this with all my heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stay in church. Stay in the Word. And watch what God will do for you. Now, we talked about four things. Amen. We talked about a walk of faith, a walk of newness, a walk in the Spirit, and a walk of honesty. Would you bow your heads with me tonight, this morning? Father, thank you today for your people. And this walk, this Roman walk that we found. How easy the Christian experience is because it's not a religion. It's based in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Based in a relationship not with a God who is only our creator and judge, but a God who has become our Father. And our prayers start, Our Father which art in heaven. Our Father. You gave us this spirit. You gave us this faith. You gave us this newness. And you've given us this power to be honest today. I'm asking that you will help your people who have heard this message today to prioritize. To learn that texting and stares don't go together. To help us be all that we can be in our walk. In our walk. Our Roman road walk. Help your people today to receive this word in good soil that it will bring forth some 60, some 30, some 100-fold in Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed, I want to ask those of you who are here who you're not certain where you'll spend eternity, I'm going to issue the invitation, the greatest invitation any church or any preacher can offer, the invitation to become born again, the invitation to become a child of God, the invitation to know where you'll spend eternity, in heaven or in hell, because you will spend it someplace. And Jesus provided so that you could have eternal life in heaven with Him. It is the will of God for you to be saved. And He did all the work so that all it would take for you was to believe it. Believe what? That Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the simple gospel. 
that even a little child can understand. But you must become like a little child and just simply believe that. No, there's nothing else for you to do, only to believe the gospel to be saved. If you're here today and you say, that's, that's me, I'm not sure, I, I need to be right with God, I need to be saved, I don't see your hand. I just want you to be honest and say, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. We've had two or three people raise their hands. I want you to pray with me. Pray with me. Everybody pray with me for them, okay? Pray like you are them. Pray, and This is how you pray an intercessory prayer, is you pray as though you're the other person, okay? So let's say it together. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Receive me as I receive you. I believe the gospel today, so I confess with my mouth that Christ died for my sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. I believe this. Jesus, thank you for doing this for me. I receive you into my life and I believe I'm going to live forever in heaven with you. And I believe that I will never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise God.